This is the Cyber Union Podcast, Episode 90, Identity Politics Lex Class. Welcome to Cyber Unions. I'm Walton in Geneva, Switzerland, and with me is Stephen in Boston, Massachusetts, in the United States, I guess. <laughs> it's yeah, it's still United, I guess. Uh, ah, for the moment, <laughs> how have you been? It's been a been a month, I guess. Now it's or been, a it's bit been a month, and um, I think it's fair to say that I'm feeling chilled. Chilled. Uh, chilled, yes, because um, I, I decided to enter a winning uh, a winter swimming competition. So there's going to be like a swimming race on the 18th of December in Lake Geneva. And Ooh. we all have to jump in the water. You're not allowed to wear wetsuits or anything like that. So it's all about cold water swimming. What's um, the temperature so, of that water? What's that? What's the temperature of that water? Um, today it was eight degrees. Um, so because I've been doing what I've been doing is training to get ready for it. So every Sunday morning um, I wake up and go to the lake uh, and swim with a bunch of people to get used to the water temperature. And oh, wow. today was actually the hardest because the, the air temperature was two degrees and uh-huh. um, there was there was actually a bit of a cold wind uh, coming up. So um, to be honest, getting into the eight degree water uh, felt actually quite warm relative to the air temperature, so which is kind of a weird thing. It's like oh, I'm freezing, I'm freezing. Oh, I'm a bit less freezing, and then you you know you swim for 15 minutes or whatever, and then you get out, and then it's actually pretty painful. Um, ah. But it's yeah, it's a, um, I, I have to say it's a, it does a better job of waking me up than coffee. It's a, I, I really recommend it. It's a highly effective way. Of, Nice. I, I, I like that. Uh, there are two two things that to for our American centric folks. Uh, that's forty six degrees Fahrenheit. If you didn't know what eight degrees Celsius was, um, uh, but it, you briefly reminded me of the uh, the ferry pools up in uh, the Isle of Skye when we had gone. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And I remember jumping in there and thinking it was going to be freezing cold, and then jumping, coming, getting out. I'm like, oh, it's the same exact temperature as the water. <laughs> I'm yeah. not cold anymore. Uh, yeah. So. But I get a similar feeling because I, I tend to bike into work in the morning and lately it's been in the morning here. Uh, like right now, it's 37 Fahrenheit, which, you know, I cannot do. Just my, above freezing. Cent- yeah. yeah. It's probably like About one three, or two degrees. Two to three Celsius. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll bike in the seven miles. <laughs> I cannot do mm. that in kilometers. Um, <laughs> ten and a half. <laughs> ten and a half kilometers uh, in the morning, and it's it's the the brisk cold in the morning. It certainly wakes me up to getting that yeah. exercise going. Yeah. Um, and then I look forward to the ride home too. It's just, it's it's good, but um, that's that'll be fun. It'll be uh, we'll hopefully hear about your swim our next next uh, recording yeah um, yeah i'm absolutely loving it it's uh, it's it's weird because um but you know if you've had a, a drink or two the night before it really clears the head in quite an exceptional <laughs> way and uh, so a hangover yeah. relief mechanism i guess oh absolutely say. yeah um sort of all in, in fact you know to be honest with you all your other troubles fade into insignificance when you hit that cold water like sort of uh. nothing else matters except staying alive for the next 15 minutes Cool. <laughs> yeah, fight or flight i guess yeah, yeah. <laughs> well nice that's that sounds good uh so well cool 
Uh, I can't say that I've been doing as much exciting stuff like that. Uh, we we should let people know that it, we should be moving the site uh, soon, but uh, there'll be some design changes to it, so you'll see cyberunions.org a little bit differently, a little bit lot more mobile-friendly when we get it going, but uh, hopefully by the next time we record, it'll be up and running. Mm-hmm. We'll see where it goes. Uh, but uh, anything else exciting on your side of the pond? Yeah, um, I don't know if exciting is quite the word, but um, I went to the city of Duisburg in the Ruhr area of uh, Germany um, two weeks ago, and I got to visit the Tyson Krupp steel plant, which um, is certainly the biggest steel plant in Europe, and it might be the biggest in the world, but it's it's Hmm. huge. It's like city size. Um, and it was really interesting. Kind of went as a guest of Iga Metall as part of a um, like a steel workers conference, uh-huh. and uh, it was quite interesting to be inside this really massive old industrial plant. Um, which I guess what was interesting about it is that the scale was really really huge, and also it's very low tech still. I mean, they make sort of really really high grade steel, but. The basic principle is the same as it's been for thousands of years, like heat steel up mm-hmm. and sort of melt it and bang it and stuff like that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it was really cool to see that big industrial process and to realize that there is still a steel industry and there's going to still be one because so many things are made out of steel. You know, like um, we, we hear a lot about how that industry is over and we're all moving into some kind of weird industry 4.0 tech future where we're not going to need steel but it was really interesting to see that plant and to realize that things like that will be around for a while so it was yeah it was good well that's good to hear yeah i mean i it's the industry i'm sure has gotten more uh advanced technologically speaking that probably don't need as many workers no, as they did in no the past. that's certainly the case yeah oh uh, i'd be curious to see if like a what does a steel plant look like 50 years ago and what it looks like today mm-hmm. uh but uh, well, interesting to hear. Uh, so the, those jobs are still there. Um, <laughs> the the jobs, the steel jobs in the U.S. certainly have been hampered tremendously because it's just been outsourced, if you will, of just yeah. moving outside the country. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the the main topic of the conversation, why I was there, was to talk about the uh, Chinese dumping. You know, the, uh-huh. the way, and it was quite an interesting discussion because, like, the knee jerk response from a lot of people in the West is to say we need to stop Chinese dumping uh, because they're producing steel cheaper than us and so all our plants are going out of um, out of business and lose, the workers are losing jobs but a lot of the trade unionists were saying kind of the opposite they were saying we can't do that because then we're threatening the jobs of Chinese workers uh, mm-hmm. and the reason the Chinese are able to sell uh, steel so cheaply is because the government supports their steel industry mm-hmm. so instead of asking to exclude them from our markets and basically um, siding with chi- with European and US capital against Chinese workers, we should be encouraging our own governments and our own steel companies to invest in, in improving uh, production so that mm-hmm. the Chinese don't undercut us. So it was, it was quite interesting to see that argument coming from a lot of steel workers, you know, that sort of internationalist perspective on it. Yeah, that's not a common, th- like, I, just, I can't imagine it to be a common discussion. I, I, I'm reminded of, like, the there's a book called RCA moves or R, RCA moves the story was it capital capitalism moves the RCA story mm-hmm. um, and it was a discussion of like how RCA was going around searching for cheaper labor but at, at like when, when they had moved from I think it was Indiana to Mexico uh, there was one union commenter union uh, member that said you know they're 
we're going to, you know, it's going to Mexico, blah, 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 and said it in a very derogatory way against Mexico. And then one other person said, no, we need to go there and organize them. And mm-hmm. we, we mm-hmm. It, that sense of solidarity and that understanding is, is not there all the time. But it's, So it's good and inspiring to hear it uh, when it is there. Um, mm-hmm. So, but uh, cool. Yeah. So, well, um, I, I guess um, the other major thing that happened is the death of uh, Fidel Castro, which... Mm. For me, it just reinforces once again the, this idea that we really are at a at a tipping point, like a complete end of an era. You know, there was mm-hmm. a there was a, a post war period from 1945, um, and that that has ended. Like the, the, the era of the neoliberal era and the sort of opposition to neoliberalism. Like we really are, you know, mm-hmm. things are changing. And if we have time later in the podcast, we can talk a bit about Castro and what all that means. Um, yeah, but, certainly. Know, and it's going to be a weird transition to go from Fidel to Trump, but I'm going to try to do this segue, uh, <laughs> which is uh, because it kind of fits to the end of a end of an era. And if if we're seeing the end of neoliberalism, which I think we some of us are hoping for, but we also don't know what we're going to get, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, Trump apparently a quote unquote? I'm putting air quotes, you know, on this non-video podcast um, <laughs> with my fingers, uh, uh, saving jobs in Indiana. Um, with mm. the, I think is a carrier company carrier, which yeah. uh, makes air conditioners, um, as well as their parent company is a big in military industrial company. Um, but uh, it's interesting to to see this attempt of him coming in and a president saving jobs, which uh, one is weird because the Repub- Republican Party has never really been one for doing that. Um, mm-hmm. The Democrats typically have been in the past, but. It also, uh, like the big questions, like, well, the workers had no say because it's a union workplace. Uh, and the unions had no say in that discussion um, mm-hmm. of whatever whatever it did happen, whether it was Carrier's already planned decision or in Trump trying to claim victory for something that he didn't do anything with. Mm-hmm. Um, or if he's actually threatening um, and it's unclear what he's going to do to try to get companies to, to not move. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't have a necessary plan outside of calling them out on the public yeah (laughs) yeah i mean i I guess trump's strategy is to do enough stuff get enough stories into the news to appear to be pro-worker but Mm anti-union um so that he can kind of shift workers away from supporting unions and you know supporting uh, his his kind of stuff which um, i don't want to belabor the comparison but that's kind of what hitler was doing as well you know he was very workerist stuff yeah. Well, let's uh, let's uh, let's get out of our little intro thing here and just, just jump into the topic then, because uh, I think we're going to be good. hitting it pretty deep. So yeah, I mean, I think you're bringing up a point that's really relevant because there is a, a concern about, I mean, a relevant one uh, about white supremacy and fascism um coming back to the point where i'm literally giving out these uh make this machine uh kills fascist stickers uh mm-hmm. everywhere um uh, i was at equal exchange cafe yesterday and uh gave it to the barista and said hey uh you might want to put this on your machine because they had a sign <laughs> yeah. up talking about how everybody no matter your identity and everything else you're welcome here and we mm-hmm. understand the current circumstances they had a sign outside their place saying that which is great so i'm like here mm-hmm. you guys should have this and the barista's like, that's awesome. I'm going to take it and I'll talk to uh, the other team and see if we can put it on. I'm like, great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so, so yeah, so go, go a little bit yeah, more into I mean, I, what was I, I going guess, on. With- I guess the stuff that I've been thinking about is um, we are seeing a lot of 
comparisons made between Trump and the rise of Hitler. And we've certainly made those comparisons ourselves. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it really does seem to reinforce that idea that history repeats itself first as tragedy and then as fast because Trump is ridiculous, as we've commented. Um, And, you know, of course, it's a different place and you can't make the comparisons too blatant. But I guess one of the things which I've become really aware of is um, how there's this big fight on the left at the moment between uh, identity politics and class politics. And a lot of people, myself included, saying there's been such a focus on identity politics that we've neglected class. And then generally the liberals have defended identity politics and, um, you know, and, and accuse people arguing for a class perspective of being, I don't know, sort of maintaining white male privilege. Mm-hmm. And what it made me think of was how in Germany in the 1930s, the, the SPD, who are the Social Democrats, and the Communist Party hated each other more than the Nazis. They were mm-hmm. so busy fighting each other that they couldn't unite. And that's how the Nazis came to power. And I, I guess I really, you know, I really want to caution us from from doing that. And, you know, and the thing is, like, I have sympathy with it because I'm so angry at liberals right now because this world that we find ourselves in is due to a failure of their, their politics. They basically surrendered class and they fought everything entirely on the terrain of identity politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's neglected, you know, like we can't have one or the other, like left strategy needs to combine both of those. You know, we need to create a world where, you know, everyone is equal and has um, equal dignity and no one is discriminated against all that kind of thing. But that includes working class people, you know, and that yeah. includes that includes um, working class um, organizations and things that give working class people power. And, um, you know, I'm thinking of one of the one of the media outlets, which makes me really angry is the useless Guardian newspaper, which is the standard bearer of liberal politics in certainly in the UK. And it's quite influential throughout the, the, the English speaking world. I think it, an equivalent might be the New York Times or something in the US. And how um, they are mounting at the moment a spirited defense of identity politics. Um, And yeah, that's fair enough. But the thing is, like, this is a newspaper which literally daily over the past five or 10 years, or I don't know however long, has had numerous articles um, on identity politics. And it's literally every day there's columnists and, you know, they have a very, very strong, they're fighting really, really strongly for feminism, for um, trans identity for, for, for everything. They're doing a really good job on that. But yeah. they never support a strike. And in fact, their columnists um, have actually attacked striking workers. Like, you know, get really, really angry because um, their arts columnist was complaining about going to the National Gallery and finding the workers on strike and, you know, saying like, making some stupid comment about how art is above this kind of thing because art is supposed to be beautiful. And you know, that is the, the typical problem of, of, of liberal politics. It's just this complete divorce from and completely not understanding where working class people coming from are coming from because their basic argument, their basic idea is, oh, if you don't like the job you've got, go and get another one. Yeah. Um, and they've been saying that to working class people for a generation and then at the same time sort of hectoring them with um, kind of sometimes quite petty stuff like if you look particularly at say white feminism you know middle class white feminism the kinds of things which they're overly concerned about um mm-hmm. is probably not that important to people of color and working class people and um you know like 
and and so they've got sucked into like activism on a completely cultural terrain um, and completely ne neglected um, any discussion of, of class and uh, structural economic power. And as much as I'm angry with them and I want to fight with them, I think it's really, really essential that we don't fall into that trap and we don't become the SPD and the Communist Party, who, by the way, were both wrong in their own way <laughs> and both right in their own way. Yeah. Um, we don't do that and that we, we absolutely defend the identity politics um, element of left-wing struggle, but that we make sure that we bring to the fore um, the class question as well. And it's not an either-or, it's not class or identity politics. Like it, It's economic power and it's, it's structural power related to people's identity. These are really important. Um, and to be frank, also people's national identity is a question which you need to to consider as well like this is something yeah. that the left has never has completely ignored like we've just said nationalism is poison um mm. without without actually understanding how um you need to engage with it people people think of themselves as coming from a place um and you need to have something to say about that place like wh whatever it is you can't just say you're wrong for um having a national identity so yeah i guess that's my little rant about the <laughs> no, kind of the fake split between identity and class politics yeah and i mean it it, it reminds me uh of uh, we talked about this recently too of the the movie pride and mm -hmm. the because it actually confronts that because it, it, it before going into like a little bit of about the uh, about the film itself but the i think the the issue is that when when we do identity politics, though they're very important issues, if we just focus on them, on that issue itself, that we it seems simpler at the moment, mm -hmm. uh, but it has the potential for large repercussions, mm -hmm. and uh, you can see that in the in the growth in a number of things within like the LGBTQ and those rights coming about, which is great. But the second the rights happen, doesn't mean that everybody's on board with it, mm -hmm. uh, and and that's that's where. I think that's where the the class and element of it is vital. Is yeah, when and start it, it doesn't challenge capital. Like capital really, really doesn't care. Yeah, what color or sexual orientation its workers are or its yes. customers are. They, they don't care about that, but they do care in the sense of using that to keep them split so that they don't unify. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that that's that that being the the class analysis of it is that we are all of the same working class of the same class because we're not capitalists. Uh, mm -hmm. So <laughs> therefore, we're the only the other class. So. Uh, uh, it just makes it harder for all of us to advance. It makes it easier for one part, but then the part of it that does is typically of the upper class, if you will, mm -hmm. and not necessarily the ones that are being that are facing the more violent repercussions of it. Yeah. And that, that 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 I think, and the reason I talk like bring that up in 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 the film, they they deal with the struggle of trying to bring in the discussion within a typically mine worker union town that yeah just just to remind people this is the film oh. about the mine workers strike which from the UK and about gay the formation of the organization gay and lesbian support the miners yes. right That's yes the one, yeah. exactly and so the 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 uh, the gay and lesbian supporters went to is Wales uh, at least in the film i don't know the historical relevance i think it was yeah i think it's yeah. accurate and so a, a minor town typical minor towns and both in the US and the UK and most other countries tend to have more of a social conservative perspective on certain things mm -hmm. uh, so they it took them a long time to become accepting of the idea of gays and lesbians supporting them and they mm -hmm. didn't really want it and they kept there was a, there's a good discussion of them refuting it um, but then 
they, they fortunately the the gay and lesbian alliance was super persistent in the sense of they kept pushing despite mm. numerous internal discussions and disagreements that they had they kept pushing uh and it's it just shows that the you know in order for us to break these divisions it's going to take a lot of work it is yeah. not going to be easy but the thing is the when we break those those walls down we grow we become stronger yeah. And, the and, more and of those it absolutely can, can be done. It really can. Like you yeah. can change people's minds quite dramatically in in short space of time. Yeah, and I I, well, I do want to encourage people to actually see that film because it's very good. I do not want to spoil the ending, but uh, I will say that it put tears in my eyes. So um, mm. it's 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 a good film. Uh, but I mean, it, it, that, and that's I mean, going back to to all these things that we're dealing with is we're dealing with an era now of uh, you know. The, all these identity politics have had advancements over the last you know number of decades uh, but I would actually say in hindsight they're probably actually slower than it would have been if we had actually taken a class conf- yeah. like dealt with it through a class analysis because like great it took I mean it was weird when um, a TV show Modern Family there was an episode where the, the gay couple kissed on, te- on national television and mm-hmm. I'm watching this or hearing about this I'm like why is this such big news now? Because I felt like that was a big thing, like in the nineties, uh, and like now, I'm like just realizing, like, oh, it was on a different show that wasn't on public television in the nineties, mm-hmm. and so like it just to me, I'm just like this is weird. It's like sort of bizarre, but at the same time, like these advancements just took longer because we went down this path that liberals have been fighting for, which is let's go after the individual thing first and not deal with the bigger mm-hmm. thing um, at all, because that's their analysis of it. And then it leads to what we're dealing with is a repercussion of, you know, like, I mean, this connects to what you're talking about, the, the SDP and, and Communist Party, is that now, right now, we're in the post, post-election post cycle, and we don't have Trump, he's not president yet, but we have a shitload of liberal infighting. Like, there's been mm-hmm. social media posts about blaming people who voted for Bernie or blaming people who voted for Joel Stein. I'm like, you know what? Those aren't the issues. That's, like, if you're going to blame the voters, you've already failed. Because the voter is the last part, <laughs> and mm-hmm. everything that was leading up to it was where you had an opportunity to bring about the change. And at the end of the day, you know, people saying, "Oh yeah, I guess I should have voted differently." Well, guess what? It doesn't mean shit at this point. There's nothing that can be mm-hmm. done. You can't take back your vote. It doesn't work that way. Not in the U.S. at least. <laughs> I don't know of countries where it does work. Uh, <laughs> but like the, these these liberals, because it's mostly coming from liberals that I'm seeing it, uh, and I'm using liberals in a more of a negative term i don't like liberals i'm a leftist Uh, liberals liberals is is not a good thing in my mind uh though many people think of it as like i'm a good fighting liberal like well don't Mm -hmm. go farther Mm -hmm. left uh i mean that was my awakening is when i determined that i'm not a liberal i'm a leftist and there's Mm -hmm. a distinction Mm -hmm. uh but the thing is uh with these perspectives people are just continuously dividing uh and that means that we're going to go into if it continues this way it means that we're going to go into uh, a President Trump era that is exceptionally divided, yeah. uh, and that's not going to help us in any stretch. the The good thing, and I can only speak regionally here in Boston, is that there has been attempts in the last year, well before we had any idea what was going to happen at this election, of socialist organizations uh, coming together and trying mm-hmm. to find places to work together, which I, in my lifetime, is monumental. Um, <laughs> uh, especially when there's if if you 
I'll have to see if I can get the image of it, and I'll see if I can share it on our, our website. But there's an awesome split uh, image on the latest Jacobin magazine that shows the socialist group's splits and re- reemergences mm-hmm. uh, over, since, like, the 1880s, I want to say, or 1870s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a really good piece to get an idea of what that split looks like. Um, mm-hmm. Because we, the left is still split. It's there are just opportunities now that we can actually come together on certain things. I, I mean, I think mm. our historical disputes, all that we can, it's not that they're not important. Yeah. But they, that, you don't, you, they're not worth organizing on. Like yeah, you, know, exactly. you don't organize a party based on something that happened a hundred years ago. Otherwise you become the 1917 historical reenactment society rather than an organization <laughs> that's actually trying to change something. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think that's the, I mean, I, I think that's the challenge is that we we need to at this point like and and I the good thing is uh, a lot of the socialist organizations that I can speak of at least um, have gotten an uptick in people that are interested in joining now and I think mm. we have to give a lot of credit to Bernie Sanders because he's the first candidate on, on the national stand that has actually spoken the word socialism uh, and not in a negative way uh, and that stirred a lot of people's interest of this idea so we're we're slowly breaking down the discourse. That's it. Yeah, it's a major. It's a major shift for for the U.S. Yeah, it is. And, which, and it's it's the space. It's about the space that's opened up by the collapse of neoliberalism. So mostly, it's obviously the right that's benefited with Trump, but it also gives us a huge amount of space because those ideas are so discredited now. Um, it really gives us the opportunity to 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 move in there. Yeah, and I, I, that's that's the best part is that we're we're in that opportunity that we have this we have this chance and we need to make use of it because otherwise then we do go down this path. Of you know bringing in the new new version or neo Hitler I guess it would be, um, mm-hmm. uh, the but I'm hoping that we don't go down that path at all. No. Uh, that's scary. Uh, but yeah. yeah, so yeah, I guess the only other thing I've been thinking about this is that I've read quite, I've read, I've been reading quite a lot over the past month because obviously you know a big thing has happened in the world and I'm trying to figure out how I feel about it and there's been quite a lot of liberal commentary some of it quite good and quite nuanced but saying things along the lines of has democracy died you know is this is this the end of democracy because of um you know not just trump but brexit and um, i think right now at the moment there's the standoff between the far right in austria and uh, a candidate who's formerly from the green party and you know mm-hmm. and it made me think that when did we ever have democracy um <laughs> because i mean i'm thinking of the uk for example where certainly more than a million people marched against the Iraq war. It was hugely unpopular and the government went to war anyway. And then we've got TPP and TTIP and TISA and CETA, these trade deals which are universally loathed. There's almost, there's no popular support for them. I mean, there's no one who thinks they're a good idea except for the people who are trying to get these deals signed. And yet every government in the world who's involved in these trade deals is trying to secretly push them through. So, you know, it's like clear that we, 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 we get to vote for the managers of our society, but we've never had the choice uh, to make any actual, any actual decisions. And I think actually that's why people vote Brexit and Trump is like because suddenly there's this crack and they think, oh, wow, you know, we could actually just upset the, the apple cart. We could break this terrible end of history neoliberal consensus, which is absolutely smothering us. We can wreck the whole thing and then... You know, maybe out of the chaos, create something different. Oh well, yeah, I mean that's 
that's one way of looking at it, and it's it's just the the the, the scarier way of just not knowing what what crack we're exploiting or has been. No, not yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, like you know, Trump and Brexit were actual alternatives, which is why people voted for them because yeah. you know people are just so sick of the the status quo. Um, I guess they, I just wanted to kind of say one other thing, and that's goes back to how you really can change society. Uh, and make it more progressive. And um, one of the things I forgot to say in like what have I been doing in the past month, I also went back to Scotland for a short visit. Oh. Um, and that place really feels at the moment like a bit of a haven from the insanity <laughs> in the rest of the world because although it's still tied to the UK, um, they really are, you know, political leaders in Scotland are, are really, really clearly trying to signal that they're headed in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a really, really interesting article that um, I've been looking at. And I just, uh, we, I guess we can put the link in the show notes. Um, but it, it talks about how, um, like you were talking about Wales and how, like a lot of working class places, it was politically left wing, but socially conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's absolutely Scotland. It's been um, a country where, where people are um, kind of see themselves as socialist, but it's been for a long time overwhelmingly white. Mm-hmm. Um, people grow up in religious families, they stay close to home, and it's been really, really socially conservative. Until about 10 years ago, um, you know, like homophobia was a big thing in Scotland, and, there were, you know, there was a lot of, um, the, the, you know, there's a, there was a, a real problem with diversity, and that has completely changed. It's like the one place where there hasn't been a working-class lurch to the right because there's just been a concerted effort by political leaders and civil society and trade unions and campaigners to um you know make the case for um gay rights and for feminism and for you know and um it, it and you know if you if you do there's a thing called the Scottish Social Attitude Survey which is a mass survey carried out by the government finding out what people think and there's been a huge shift in Scottish consciousness in 10 years um, really? to, the, to the fact that the majority of people now think that you absolutely need to defend people from racial, um, religious, sexual, gender discrimination. Um, hmm. So it's possible. So yeah. and, and the thing is, like, I think we need to, you know, it's very easy to get sucked into the vortex of how, how bad things are. But we also need to look at the examples where people are actually able to change society for the better and and try and learn from them and be encouraged by them as well that's very encouraging and and happy to see that uh so the i think that what i'm hearing is that we're supposed to return to scotland uh, <laughs> which is rightfully so because apparently there's gonna be a fight against trump there too because apparently he doesn't want wind farm that's gonna obscure the view of yeah. this stupid fucking golf yeah. course <laughs> which is a whole nother thing that that's the part that's really interesting and not to go back to it too much but like his business holdings. I mean, this is the first time we've had a president elect that has so mm-hmm. much business holdings. Uh, it's really, can, it's really the most bizarre circumstance. It's so weird to even try to figure out what, what, mm-hmm. the, and the stuff that we've learned very quickly. There's a, a for congressional uh, elected folks, there is a um, conflict of interest law that they can't represent certain. They can't be part of companies uh, that may conflict with their their role as a public servant does not apply to the president. Mm. <laughs> the, the only thing that applies to the president is a, it's a constitutional amendment that a president cannot receive gifts without con- congressional approval. Uh, so if we're in a moment of where a president completely can take advantage of that, it's now because he's got mm. the entire Senate and the, and the Congress. 
uh, on as a Republican Party at least uh, whether they're going to agree to it as a whole other discussion but uh, it's going to be really bizarre and it's going to really I mean part of me wants to live through this existentially and be outside the bubble and look at what happens and just mm-hmm. like think of it as like a game of Sims um, and mm-hmm. just like just that where nobody actually gets hurt or dies because mm-hmm. it'd be really interesting from a from that perspective to see what changes might actually happen like from mm-hmm. foreign policies and everything else uh scary or not it's just it is different um mm. than what we've ever expected before because it the it's it's really bizarre because i feel my i find myself in this fucked up position of like i want to know but i don't mm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. i i i want to see the changes like the would happen and just to see what would happen but at the same time i really don't want to see it but then i do and i'm like yeah yeah yeah. i mean i was yeah i know i totally know what you mean and and i I, you know i've it it upsets everything it throws everything upside down because like i was thinking like i've spent my entire adult 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 life um fighting neoliberalism Mm -hmm. and suddenly i'm thinking like oh shit (laughs) Maybe neoliberalism is better than what we're gonna get. And, it seems like and a warm blanket like right a, now. <laughs> it's such a weird, you know, such a weird thought to find yourself having that, you know. And you start looking at how um, there are sort of elements within capitalism who don't like Trump. I mean, there are elements which do, but there are some mm. that don't. And and you know, starting to think like um, maybe they're our friends. Maybe they'll save us. You know, these big corporations who don't like Trump. <laughs> it's a it's a very unusual time um, like rather that's yeah you hit a good point though but that's that's the other concerning part like i mean as much as it's confusing as hell the other concerning part is are we gonna see capitalism become our savior mm-hmm. to like <laughs> to, to certain elements because like if if he's coming in yeah. like going after the identity stuff and further splitting that up you know he's he's coming in against the basically it, it, at least linking towards the idea that he's against uh gay marriage and everything else mm-hmm. if if he succeeds on fighting that we're going to see companies are going to be like, no, that's perfectly mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> and we're going to see like that. It, it's bizarre to see what that infighting would look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if it, like, I'd be more public at that point. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. Because, because absolutely there's going to be an element of the capitalist class, which looks progressive relative mm-hmm. to the, the political establishments. And that yeah. puts us in a really bizarre situation. It does. Uh, it. I mean, it would further underscore some of the things that we've always assumed. Like, you know, Domino's, the head of Domino's is a, a creationist and puts mm-hmm. money towards creationism mm-hmm. in public schools. And mm-hmm. whether that would be more publicly confrontational in the sense of that you could actually get more public support, as much as that would be good, I, it still lacks the whole class thing, which is the bigger mm-hmm. conundrum and problem that we're dealing with, uh, mm-hmm. which is just... Yeah. It's like a wait so and see that it. I don't want to wait and see. <laughs> no, I know, I know. It, it kind of feels like watching, um, you know, it's like watching The Walking Dead, isn't it? It's like a, you know, it's a box, apocalyptic box set where, you know, like things are going horribly wrong, but you want to know what happens next. And like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Except that this time, you, this one, you're, you know, you, you can't sort of switch the television off. You're actually living through it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's quite a shift from the world of Fidel Castro to the world of Trump, isn't it? It certainly is, and uh, we haven't gotten complete access from the U.S. to go there yet. And I, uh, now mm. I'm just—it's going to get all fucking touristy, which is going to drive me nuts. Like the, mm. uh, uh, it's not a place. It's not a place that I could go and like live and get away from this horrible place. Yeah, 
I, I don't know how I feel about the whole thing because, um, you know, I've never been, you know, there's like, I've never been a cold warrior. There's some people who like look at the West and see everything wrong with it. So they jump over to the other side yeah. and think, you know, and, they, and some of those people annoyingly still think that way and they think they're on the left, but they support Putin, for example, because for some uh -huh. bizarre reason they think. And so I've never been like one of those people who's like, yes, Cuba is the way to be. It's, you know, all that kind of thing. There's plenty of problems with it. But, you know, we also know they have a really, really good health service. They have really, really good internationalism. And that Fidel Castro is hugely popular across Africa because of the support he gave to national liberation struggles. Yeah. And in fact, he was pretty instrumental in the defeat of apartheid because um, he sent with Che Guevara so many soldiers to Angola and mm -hmm. uh, it was the first time the South African army was defeated. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there was a really, really major military defeat in Angola, which, which basically demoralized the apartheid government so much that they moved into sort of defensive mode. And, I, you know, I think that was one of the major reasons that apartheid ended. So, you know, there's a lot of people who are really thankful for Fidel because of, because of stuff like that. But then, you know, there's, or the problems with Cuba as well. So yeah, you know, I have kind of mixed feelings. I do. I mean, it. it I, I never knew, like, I mean, outside of watching it in films and reading it, I never knew the successes so much because it was really, we were in a bubble in the U.S. We were not really privy to that information until much, much later. Mm -hmm. uh, and by the time I learned about any of it, it was well past anything that was monumental to change because, like, mid-early 2000s is when I started becoming more aware of that. Uh -huh. And I mean, you have more of a historical reference to South Africa, so uh, like seeing that there, um, I don't know. It's just it, it's it's unfortunate to to. I mean, life happens. Uh, it's really intriguing at how many presidents he surpassed uh, mm -hmm. in the U.S. that can that that had kept up the stupid embargo. Uh, mm -hmm. The the funny thing though that I still think about the U.S. policy on it is. Really, that you know, if they ever wanted to defeat Castro, they just should have opened up the embargo and gotten yeah. rid of it because it would yeah. have, it would have completely devastated the the communist state that they had and the the economy that they had. But the 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 interesting stories, at least what I'm hearing from like the coverage that we do get about Fidel's passing, is that how many people absolutely loved him, and it wasn't like loved him because he was a bad dictator. It's just that he did bring amazing mm -hmm. things to poor communities that no mm -hmm. advanced country has ever done it to the level that he had and mm -hmm. you know that's that's the part that it's 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 good that in the sense that we can look to him as succeeding so many and then we at least in the US have failed to do the small things the things that he did that seem so small but are so important mm -hmm. uh, like universal healthcare and uh, <laughs> having an amazing healthcare system with very limited resources and being so innovative at that front too like that's yeah. that, that's the stuff that's just amazing, and yeah, now now we're dealing with enemies that that are nothing like that, that don't mm -hmm. even have you know the heart that we know of, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, because at least Fidel had a heart and cared. Um, yeah, he may have made yeah. mistakes and things like that. He did on a number of issues, but uh, overall, it's just it's really amazing um, mm -hmm. what was done. So, mm -hmm. well that. <laughs> There was a bit of a rant. Um, yeah, you know, there was. The, the, the format of this show, for those, yes. of us, for, for those who haven't listened for the past five years, is that we have a little intro, 
And then we talk about politics for a bit. And since it's called cyber unions, we also talk about technology and its application to the world of trade unions. Um, and so we've had a massive political rant. We've barely mentioned unions and we haven't said much about technology. So probably we should uh, talk a bit about uh, technology now, shall we? Yes, certainly. Which for you is computers. Uh, it's really hard to figure out where to start. Mm. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I guess... Yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, I, th- I think back to even like... Because we're we're re, we're kind of restarting us our show because we had not been for a long period of time, and I keep thinking back to like where we where we started, and we touched a little bit on that in the last podcast about Tor and the importance of encryption and things like that, which is vitally important, and want to encourage the use of that communication um, means, especially for people uh, in uh, the fear of whistleblowing and everything else and oppression for speaking out. Uh, there's I, I'm gonna try to dove into something that. I know we've touched on numerous times, but I think it's a challenge that we can't figure out what to do. And I don't think mm-hmm. the left or unions have either, which is rebuilding the commons. And mm-hmm. we've discussed this in the past and it was of at least social media wise, uh, because we've never mm-hmm. had the commons in social media. Uh, and uh, things have changed a lot since then. <laughs> uh, changed in the sense that like even social media is not, not really as relevant as it used to be. I mean, Twitter used to be like the outlet that people went to uh, uh, just to get their own message out. But it's changed a lot that it's... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I guess, you know, like um, when we started the show, social media was relatively new and it was going to be this world-changing thing. And I guess it kind of has changed the world a lot. And we were looking for alternatives. It was really important for us. Like, you know, we had really good critiques of particularly Facebook for really good reasons. And on this show, we've discussed everything. We've discussed, I don't know, diaspora and sort of every single alternative that someone has come up with and in quite a lot of depth. And we've spoken about some of them, which are really, really good, but none of them have ever worked. Like none of them have ever taken off. And, you know, I guess one of the reasons is, well, it's two reasons. I mean, firstly, um, a social network is valuable because of who else is on it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, and if most of your friends are on Facebook or most of your friends are on, are on whatever, that's the one you're going to use. And then the other reason is just that we don't have the money and the resources to make something as impressive as people have got used to. And so all of these alternatives have just never really taken off. And But at the same time, like I've noticed changes in the way people are using the traditional social networks. Like... I closed my Facebook account maybe four years ago and then I had to reopen one now for work to manage mm-hmm. a Facebook page for work. And I did it really reluctantly. And, you know, as soon as I was on there, a whole bunch of people added me again and now I've got hundreds of friends, all that kind of thing. I was like, oh God, here we go again. <laughs> but it, it, it's kind of changed. Like maybe it's just me, but it's almost like I feel like so many people have been burned by sort of the bad things of Facebook. People have really withdrawn yeah uh, and like um mostly i see people posting um interesting articles so facebook yeah. has become a news feed almost like twitter um yeah people are not you know and and it's like there's a real etiquette like don't tag people you know uh-huh. don't do it yeah. because like let them decide what they share on their facebook feed don't just tag so you know people have really grasped the the privacy thing and now i'm now i'm like i kind of don't mind being on facebook like i don't use it personally very much but i don't feel heavily exposed because no one's tagging me 
um, you know, and all the stuff I'm posting is the stuff I'm, I'm quite happy to be publicly associated with, you know, it's kind of left-wing political stuff or whatever, and I don't post a lot. So mm-hmm. the way people are using those kinds of social networks are, are different as well. And I also think there have been so many, you, you know, people have lost their innocence on Twitter as well because there's been so much kind of, you know, Twitter nastiness that, that happens that, that also people are, I don't know, a bit more careful and disciplined about what they post on Twitter. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we don't need an alternative social network. Maybe um, we can kind of use things like Facebook and Twitter as a kind of publicly facing message so that we can reach the general public and then just have much tighter and more organized groups, uh, either through email or through Telegram or, uh, you know, channels, channels like that. And because I actually find like, I'm not communicating with my th- my friends through these social networks. I'm using, you know, Telegram yeah. or WhatsApp if they're using WhatsApp. I'm sorry to say, but, um, <laughs> but you know, it's it's that kind of, you know, and and in in things like Telegram and WhatsApp, you can create groups quite easily. You can communicate with those groups, mm-hmm. um, and you can keep it with it. You can keep the discussion within that group and not get some random stranger wading in to start a fight with you. Yeah. Um, and maybe that is actually the way we need to do it is like to to try and reach the general public and then have the discussions that we want to have with people that we've agreed to add to a group and, you know, which has sort of group rules and etiquette and ways of behaving and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think what kind of when you're going talking about there, like the, the thing that I felt like social media, like it, it never had a, it was never a problem that they were trying to solve necessarily because i mean like if you look at twitter twitter typically in the beginning came out of really just instant messaging from your phone via sms Mm -hmm. that was like Mm -hmm. the big thing is like oh i can send it to some place that's going to get some feed that everybody can see or whatever Mm -hmm. um or that i can interact with and it it, because it's become its own platform so much it it's it's didn't really solve the problem necessarily of communication that was there because then suddenly now we're just on now we're needing data plans and all this other stuff which we all have on our phones or not all but many have on our phones mm-hmm. that is more reliant on it but then we run into other restrictions and like there's definitely a push away from text messaging because for some reason people just didn't like it uh and eventually it was just a little bit harder to do twitter on a on a instant message or via sms messaging and then what i think whatsapp and signal and telegram have all kind of gone back to is your mobile device. Most people use mm-hmm. their mobile device. They're not using laptops like they used to. They're not using desktops like they used to, which is where mm-hmm. I think Facebook was a little bit more relevant to that stuff. I mean, they've adapted, of course. Uh, all of them yeah. have. Yeah. But it's just and, the, and, and, it's and, not the new thing anymore. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think, crucially, um, they actually make security really easy. I mean, I know mm-hmm. we had a discussion last week about, you know, what's better, Signal or Telegram. Or, but the point is, like, you can you don't have to know anything much about security you can download load those apps and just use them and have a pretty high standard of of security which you you know whereas before um you know you had to figure out pgp and like how to install it you know it was a bit more complicated to do all that stuff Um, yeah so i think it's made like secure communication quite easy and quite accessible um and and people have also learned like there's a separation these are the things that i say in private to people that I want to know a certain thing and mm-hmm. this is my general public persona and who really cares yeah and and the, these I mean I think it's interesting just because like it's almost there is this passive thing about Twitter and passive thing about Facebook that you could you could message to it and then come back to it later on but whatever but like 
I mean, I know I follow enough people on Twitter at this point that it's just too much at any point. I don't go back and look at messages unless, Mm -hmm. you know, like somebody else PMs me it or whatever. But, and I mean, I still connect with people on there, but it's, I don't spend as much time as I used to. Like I spend like maybe a little time in the morning for like 10 minutes or whatever. And then maybe a little time in the evening. And sometimes when I'm just like reading it, reading it in the middle of the night, but I don't really retweet or anything like that, but I'm not Mm -hmm. really conversing as much as I used to. Uh, And I do find myself conversing a lot more on, on things like telegram. My, the co-op that I'm a part of our meetings are done on telegram. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it's, it's replaced a lot of what we did with email in one sense, because even just before I sent you a PDF via telegram uh, and it's, it makes it easier to, to work with that stuff. Uh, and Signal is the other thing. I, WhatsApp, I don't. I'm mostly because my phone doesn't actually support WhatsApp. Is the only reason I don't really have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that I'm dying to get it back because it, it's. I was able. I was only communicating with like one or two people specifically on WhatsApp, um, and then was other people were using the other devices anyway. So I was I was perfectly fine on giving mm-hmm. up my WhatsApp account. Uh, but the encryption, like Signal's encryption methodology and and WhatsApp, are using the same level. Uh, that's the. Mm-hmm. It's just that WhatsApp is corporate, and it's corporate, and you need to opt out of um, sharing stuff on Facebook, which is you have to figure out how to do that because otherwise, it um, you, you have to turn on the encryption with, with WhatsApp. Yeah, yeah, and what what's really weird, and this is the bizarre thing, if we're going to go after like what where free software has been used, because like, like WhatsApp is using free software uh, as a backbone, it's just not doing anything to add to it. Um, but the fact that they went after the encryption thing um, as a company, as Facebook did, uh, was interesting because Google had communication down for the longest time with Google Talk mm-hmm. or chat, and they never added the encryption thing because they needed the ability to continuously re- read that stuff for their own yeah. marketing purposes. Yeah. And the fact that they wouldn't give that up and they broke away from that is real, real, really sad because they were using XMPP too, and XMPP or Jabber, as many, many people may know it, it, still has a tremendous amount of features. I'm not going to write them out as that they're gone, but they've mm-hmm. there's been missed opportunities and same thing. Like It goes back to the same thing that we're running with like all these other social media things. Like Opportunities were there, but there's not, not enough like collective understanding of how to promote it. So mm-hmm. like people would start their own and say, look, I started my own. I'm like, oh, great. That doesn't really mean that much to me, but... Um, mm-hmm. You know, I would be more concerned, like, and, and maybe I'm ranting a little bit here, but like maybe what a role that maybe even cyber unions as, as a concept could be is a place to theorize and discuss what could be done mm-hmm. and developing some resources for adoption of stuff like that. But at the same time, I still feel like that's even like the free software mentality of like, oh, it's all there. So everybody knows how to do it because the information's yeah. out there, but nobody does it. Yeah. And, and do you know what, you know, I think we, we need to turn that on its head and realize that people tend to use the tools that they know. So we kind of mm-hmm. need to learn how, you know, because I'm using WhatsApp because everyone else is. Yeah. Uh, you know, people who want to communicate with me are using it. So we need to kind of figure out how to tweak what people are doing anyway mm-hmm. and learn from that rather than try to have this kind of techno-focused um, approach to solving a problem which people don't think they have, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm, so I'm I guess right. that... Sorry, I just I was going to add one more thing, unless you had another yeah. point on that same spot. Um, they, there was, they, I'm reminded of this organization called Sorciendo in Mexico um, that made the decision, and this is a, just a con- technically like an interesting concept, which is like they made the decision that they want to go down the path of trying to do everything with free software. 
uh, free and open source software. And mm-hmm. the thing that I liked about their approach is that they decided as a group whether they wanted to do that. And then when they made that decision, their adoption of it was really somewhat individual of everybody developed their own path of how they're mm-hmm. going to get there. Um, and the the people that were more tech savvy were the ones that were just checking in with them. So like one person said, okay, I want to be there by the end of next month. Another is like by the end of next year or next two mm-hmm. years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they just developed a path of, okay, this is how we start this transition. And that, that's a, that's an interesting approach from at least an organizational structure. Uh, it's just the, the global structure, I think, is a little bit harder thing to figure that out of like how to mm-hmm. do it. But the fact that they did that, I thought was really monumental because I had not heard of an organization trying to do that. And they shared that story. Um, mm-hmm. And how they did that, and why, um, mm-hmm. to the point where they were they were using Telegram. They were thinking about going Signal because the encryption was more, but um, they never made that decision as a group, uh, or at least at the time that I spoke mm-hmm. with them, they hadn't. Um, but so I find it, I find the concept interesting, and but it's also, I mean, it's, I'm taking us down another rabbit hole, but like it, it goes back to, you know, we talk about free software and technology and, and hoping that people are going to adopt it. But the thing is, I think we do it on hope instead of actually organizing it. And I don't think we've done a good job of trying to figure out how do we organize about it? And then how do we make it a real thing that is adaptable and adoptable? Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I guess, you know, I guess all that does is bring us to the question of, uh, should we open a Facebook page for cyber unions? (laughs) We could obviously, reach a big audience that way um yeah that we've we've resisted it because we hate facebook so much so yeah. um i don't think i'm going to talk about that i'm just going to i guess i'll say you know if you're listening to this and you have an opinion please let us know um i guess either on twitter or on the telegram group that we have yeah and yeah, if you do want to go to the telegram group it's telegram.me slash cyber unions uh and just to give a little context to it it's not so much to use Facebook, but just to use Facebook as the publishing end. Because we do know that there are a lot of people out there. We do know that a lot of socialist organizations, leftist organizations, have gotten a lot of new followings and support because of it. And I'm not saying that we want to justify the game that Facebook plays, but that, you know, and we want to pull people away from it. But um, just not having a voice there is like, you know, there's a, there's a huge parade going on down the street about stuff that's related to us, but we're not going to participate. Because you know they said something. They, we're purists. Yeah, we're purists. So they're they're talking about something that we're not going to connect with, and mm-hmm. I think I think that's the 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 same concept. Like yeah, I guess I see now and now I'm seeing what you're doing. Like you're taking the, the point of what I was saying about sourciendo and the transition and trying to figure out we need to connect with where people are so they can actually have a path to transition out. Uh, yeah. And then maybe we can come down to the decision of what what we're going to do to replace all these different corporate owned media outlets that are social media. Mm-hmm. So, but cool. Good. Oh. So there we go. We covered some tech. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I guess we should get to. Should we? We should try to wrap up. I suppose. Yeah, we should wrap because this is getting. Uh, we're getting on for about an hour now, and uh, if anyone's still awake and listening, then thank yeah. you for sticking with us so long. Help will come whenever it's needed. Cheer, my comrades. Cheer. Yeah. Uh, well. Well. Well, on our wrap-up, I would like to – you had highlighted on social media, of, of course, uh, about a recent podcast if you want to share about it. No, I want you to share about it. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a Docker podcast. I, I will put a link into the show notes for it uh, that has come out. It's a, people from the ILWU, uh, 
on the western side of the U.S. Uh, uh, that is tendencies more progressive. Uh, they started a podcast. Um, I don't know exactly when, uh, but we just come aware of it. That um, is coming from a complete union perspective, uh, talking about life on on the docks uh, and the, the things that they deal with. Uh, there are a lot of terms that like were throwing me for a loop. So I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> uh, but they're very doc-oriented words. Uh, but it, it was really interesting because they their discussions kind of give you an idea of what actually happens on the docks, mm-hmm. um, not just in the U.S. Because they were at a global conference recently and they're talking about what what life is like on different um, mm-hmm. in different countries. Uh, so it's a interesting podcast. Would like to give a shout out for people to listen in uh, if they're interested in other union podcasts that are out there. Um, so yeah yeah absolutely I mean it's always really good to hear that kind of communication straight from the workplace uh, you know workers talking to each other so absolutely go give it a listen yeah uh, and uh, the only other thing that I would like to share only because this is again going down the path that we were just talking in the tech side which is we do have an iTunes account uh, so our podcasts are available via iTunes uh, and we it's, just it's we only know- on iTunes because like once five years ago, I borrowed someone's Mac and created an iTunes account and <laughs> uploaded the details. And I'm informed that it worked. And apparently the podcasts are all there and they do load. So yeah. um, I haven't maintained it, but clearly it's working. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I would like to encourage people to to rate and review us on there just so it uh, gives our awareness on there. We do know that a lot of people that listen to our show are listening through uh, iPhones. So we assume that you probably have iTunes. Um, which I know is an assumption, but uh, the it's just good to get the promotion out there. It's not that we're not concerned about listeners. We've got plenty of listeners, but we just want to expand the growth of who is listening. Uh, we have an opportunity to restart here, so uh, highly encourage it. And as I already said, Telegram, uh, we're we're both active on there. So if you want to join our group, please, we'll put a link in the show notes as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's about it. Good, we created a podcast. There we go. Well done. <laughs> Uh, well, it was good talking to you again, Walton, and uh, yeah, you too. try to get together again next month again. Absolutely. So, see you all later. Visit us at cyberunions.org. Follow us on Twitter and Identica at cyberunions or on Reddit slash r slash cyberunions. You can also email us feedback or grievance at cyberunions.org. Thank you for listening.